Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Before we start, this show is expensive to produce, but we offer it every week for free. Thanks to my weekly sponsors and to individual supporters of the show through Patreon. Patreon provides ongoing monthly crowdfunding for creative projects just like this. Individuals can support the show through Patreon at a number of different tiers, starting at $4 a month. Or if you're a business, you can get your message in front of my listeners through the sponsorship tier. Learn more at patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon with an E. And I'm so grateful for the people who support the show through that platform. Today's guest is Allie Ramos. Now, I've known Allie since we were both kids, and honestly, I think she's one of the most interesting people in Amarillo. She just graduated from Columbia University with a master's in social work. She's a very talented graphic designer and illustrator. She's a board member of NMD United, which is a national organization advocating for individuals with neuromuscular disabilities. Allie is also an activist, and over the past few months, she's found herself leading the fight against a local restaurant with a racially offensive name. That restaurant has since been shut down, by the way. Allie has established herself as a community leader with a powerful presence, and I'm honored to be able to introduce listeners to more of her story. So here's Allie Ramos. Allie Ramos, welcome to the Hamarillo hey Podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. I'm I'm really excited to finally be on here. Well, good. I'm <laughs> I'm excited to have you. I've uh, I've been thinking about you as a guest for a, at least a year or so, and we should probably say that I've known you since you were a kid. Yes, we were <laughs> we were kids together in the same church. So. <laughs> Um, it's great to catch up with you as grown-ups now, yeah. and uh, I'm, I'm eager to hear from you in this episode. The, the thing I want to start with is the thing that I ask everybody, and I know a little bit about it already, but how did you end up here in Amarillo? What brought you to the city in the first place? Well, I was born here, so I had no choice, okay. but I did you know, make a, make a life here, and I love it. I did move away for about six to eight months. I went to Los Angeles for art school, and I loved it, but it was expensive. Mm -hmm. So I came back and, uh, in about 2008, and I've been here ever since and trying to figure out who I am and who everyone else is. Well, same as the rest of us, I guess. <laughs> Where did you go to high school? I went to Amarillo High. Okay. And I know that I was not very involved. I wasn't very excited to be, you know, I, you know, I was an emo little kid. Mm -hmm. I was all about, you know, my chemical romance. I was so, <laughs> I was moody, but I, I loved the graphic design class. That's, that was my, my passion and that's all I did. It, it was great. Tell me about when you began to think about going away to graphic design school and, and sort of the, the thought process. A lot of people are as eager as possible to get out of Amarillo to go someplace else. I don't know if that was the case with you, yes. uh, but you did end up coming back. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how that went and, and what the thinking was. Yeah, I, I immediately started in 2005 to go to Amarillo College. And I just basically, I went for graphic design there. I started about two years and then I thought I should go to a university. And so I applied to different schools in the Los Angeles area. 
because I just love like the the culture there that there's so many different kinds of people and there's a lot of acceptance for people who are different. Mm -hmm. So I chose to go to a more progressive area and I got into Otis College of Art and Design and I loved it every second of it. And, you know, if, if money was unlimited, I'd probably still be there. Tell me about that experience you know, going from LA or from Amarillo to LA is a big culture shift. Um, not just culturally, geographically. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. big city, lots of driving, all that kind of stuff. Tell me what that was like for you. Yeah, I lived about 20 minutes from Venice Beach. Okay. So it was, it was right by the ocean and it was just beautiful there. You know, I do have a disability. So in this area in Amarillo, People often stare Mm -hmm. because I am, you know, in a wheelchair. I do have a trach. I'm not walking, so people obviously, like, are interested in what I have. But when I got to Los Angeles, like, no one looked at me, and I was like, wow. (laughs) Like, I'm not the the weirdest-looking person here. There's a guy walking down the Venice Beach and dressed like a tree, you know? Like, (laughs) it... It was just an amazing feeling to be around people who express themselves to their fullest extent. Tell me about that growing up here. Um, you know, Amarillo has a reputation for people being really friendly, you know. Um, yeah. Talk about people being welcoming and, and hospitable here. But I think when gener- people generally talk about that, they're not thinking of maybe someone who is, you know, in a wheelchair or mm-hmm. someone who has a disability and might be experiencing a different Amarillo. Is, right. is that accurate? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, people are incredibly friendly. And sometimes when they do see me, it's a little bit of even though I am an adult, they still think I'm a child, pretty much. You know, it's, there's a lot of uh, infantilization. There's a lot of, like, pity. Why, why the infantilization part of that? You know, it's... Is it because you're, it's hard to gauge height or something like that when you're in a wheelchair, or is there something more to that? I think it's because I'm sitting down. People think, oh my goodness, you can't walk. Like, what could have happened? Maybe, you know, if she was born that way, maybe even though her body isn't functioning, her mind might not be functioning too. We're quick so, to make that jump yeah. from having a physical difference to also equating some sort of mental incapacity. Right, right. And I, you know, I don't. And I also, you know, even people that do have cognitive disabilities, you know, they deserve to be spoken to as who they are as an adult. They don't, they don't need to be uh, spoken down to because that just takes away who you are as a person. Because this is, um, you know, this is an, an audio medium. I, I want to let yourself kind of um, give listeners an idea of your disability. So can, can you talk yeah. about why you're in the wheelchair? Um, how long has this been your experience? And, and kind of give some insight into what's behind that. Yeah, I was, di- I was born with spinal muscular atrophy, which is a neuromuscular disability and it is genetic it runs in the family I had an older sister that passed away when she was four so I never got to meet her but she had the same thing that I do 
And so every case of this disability is dependent on the person. Like everyone is different. The It is progressive. And I guess I could also equate this to, it's like the cousin of Stephen Hawking, like his disability okay. was ALS. And that was uh, diagnosed in him as an adult. And it was very, very progressive. And I was born with this. Uh, so it's it's kind of just a slower progression, um, which it just limits my uh, ability to like to walk the and my limbs. Like I can't really raise my arms, um, and I have personal assistants that kind of act as my arms and legs, which is amazing to have because you know they become like family, mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's a different way to live. And I think that people often think that because I need a lot of help that I should be pitied or that I am not able to do everything that I'm able to do or that I'm an inspiration for going to a grocery store. Right. That there should be a YouTube video or something. (laughs) (laughs) Like people ask me if they can pray for me as I'm just like looking as I'm shopping and I'm like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that because I don't, I'm fine. I'm good. I, I love my life. Like I don't have anything that is pressing just because of how I look. Right. And it, yeah. it might come from a, a good place, yeah. a good heart maybe, but it, there's also that idea that I, I need to fix you, you know, right, I, there's right. something like, wrong and I need to make it better. And like their intent doesn't, equal the impact that it has because you can have the best intent you can be like oh wow you're so pretty and I'm like yeah okay thank you you know and like I could look like I just crawled out of bed and I still say that you know like it it could be genuine from them to make them feel really good that they are giving people compliments who they think that they need it more than other people so (laughs) you know it's just it's 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 hard to, to relate to this if you haven't experienced it. And I know that you can, like, I have a really good gauge on, like, people's, how they're acting towards me. And I think it's, it's really helped in my activism as to pinpoint where people are coming from. Tell me what that experience was as a kid. Uh, I know that, you know, you're, you're talking about the, the way that it's, that you receive it as an adult, you know, which sometimes has some negative um, impact on you. As a child, you know, every kid is going through worries about acceptance, fitting in in school. You, you know, they're always, you know, experiencing, you know, some sort of some sort of emotional trauma. Oh yeah. And and to to have that extra level of it as a kid, I mean, what was that like? Uh, you know, I I had a really good, I guess, experience in elementary school. I I had a lot of friends. I was social. And then middle school hit, yeah. and I got very, very sick. And I was hospitalized with pneumonia, which caused me to get a trach. And I had to be on a ventilator to breathe. And having this extra level of just difficulties, you know, I... I was 13, and I had adult nurses who went with me everywhere. Okay. I There were about a year and a half that I couldn't verbally speak. 
because of the surgery, you know, I was, I was on and text messaging wasn't, that wasn't like a thing. You After know? a tracheotomy, you almost had to relearn how to, to speak. Is that, yeah, is that yeah, true? They're, they're they just because me, of the breathing that's involved. Right. They gave me a different kind of trach that had like a foam ball on the end of it, a cuff, and it didn't allow me to speak. So I went to another doctor, Dr. Habersong, who is like my my angel. <laughs> but he was like, you can speak, you're fine. And so he, he switched my trach. I was able to relearn how to speak within a few weeks, you know, after not being able to speak as a as a teenager, as a pre, you know, 13, 14, I couldn't socialize with my friends. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, it, the the church that I did go to, it was very, people were very uh, leery of me because mm. of all of the equipment that I had. Um, I wasn't really accepted by many people where at the, at the church. So I, this is from a perspective of a teenager too. Sure. You know, which means that I'm my emotions were incredibly heightened. Yeah, everything's a little heightened. Yeah. So, I mean, whether that was the actual case, I know that's how I felt. But it, it really did turn me into who I am today, is to not be afraid to speak to people or to confront or to empathize or any of those things. When you left for L.A., was that... Was that your first time kind of going out on your own, independent of yes. like your mom and dad and, and getting out of the house and that kind of oh, thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. They were terrified. And I was like, peace out. I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, I, was, I, I didn't really have any fear because I was excited. I was like, I can do this. I, I, I don't, my body is not limiting my ability to progress or to get an education or to form relationships. And that, you know, it's, it was an amazing experience, and I'm really glad that I did it. Because without that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten to see that side of the, the country. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I can imagine the difficulty from your parents' perspective, too. Oh you gosh. know, having a daughter that they've had to care for so closely. You know, yes. and then just saying, okay. Yeah, know. and my parents never, they are amazing. They are wonderful people and they basically never limited what I could do they never told me no you can't do that you know like whatever I wanted to do I wanted to be an artist and they were like okay I don't I don't care go do what you want to do <laughs> you know and they were very supportive they anything you know if I had art shows they'd be there but they weren't so supportive that they weren't, they were like overbearing. Right. Helicoptering. They, yeah. They weren't helicoptering. They were, they were the perfect amount of letting me be expressive and letting me go off in a different direction than them. Whether that is my uh, political views, whether that's just other, any, anything really, you know, we were very different people, but their love is, incredibly strong for who I am. Tell me a little bit about, you know, coming back to Amarillo and, and kind of building a career for yourself here. Tell me what you do and, and why you do that. Oh my goodness. When I came back to Amarillo, I worked at, it was AIG. I worked at AIG for three years and 
I I had great managers, I had great coworkers, but I was like, this is not what I want to do. I'm bored. I, you know, and so I decided to go back to school okay. for psychology at that point. And that was in 2012. Right. And I went for that. And then I met my husband and I was like, I got very distracted. I didn't, I didn't finish, you know, I, I went for two years and then I was like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to work. And we're, we'll, you know, we, we bought a house. We have a lot of fur, fur babies, you know, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a point to progress in a profession until I got incredibly bored Again, I get my, I'm very, I have to be busy all the time yeah. or I'm, I'm bored and sad. So like say, um, I decided to go back to school for social work Okay. and I went to AC for a semester and finished that off. And then I went to WT and took the program, graduated with my bachelor's and then I went to straight into my master's program. It was an online program through Columbia University in New okay. York. And so it was a very accelerated 10-month uh, program that's supposed to be two years. Wow. So it was like double the work for 10 months. I almost lost my mind, but I made it. <laughs> and, you know, the pandemic happened, and everything just kind of took a very strong stop. So... Did you graduate from the Columbia program then? Yes. When? Like last in year? May. Oh, in May. No, so recent. Just, just recently. Okay. Yeah, I got to watch the commencement online. <laughs> and I mean, it was, it was great because all of these online formats are allowing people with disabilities to experience the same thing through their computer that right. other people are able to go to. So in that kind of aspect, levels the playing field, I guess, yeah, for a lot yeah. of people. And like, I'm able to go to things, but people who aren't, which is abundant because it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to get out of your house, but it's, it just levels and makes everything really accessible and equal. So, you know, if, if we can imagine a world where we weren't just hit by a pandemic, um, what, what was the plan after getting your, your graduate degree? Well, I, I want to get licensed okay. for my uh, LMSW. And what does that, that stand for? It's Licensed Master of Social Work. Got it. Okay. So right now, you know, I've applied to take the test, but everything is just very backed up. And I don't know when I'm going to be able to take it. You know, I can't be licensed. I can't call myself a social worker until I'm licensed. So I basically just have to say I have a degree in social work. Okay. Because you can get, you can not get your license if you call yourself a social worker and not have it. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting for that. And then I will go for my LCSW, which is licensed clinical social work. And that means it's uh, equal to a psychologist. You can diagnose, you can treat, you can... Uh, not prescribe medication, but you can uh, do counseling. And that's kind of what I want to do is have that, that kind of licensure. Is there a particular 
segments um, that, that you want to focus on as a social worker? I want to focus on mental health and how that relates to physical disabilities, too, because I, I, I want to focus on people who have things such as cancer or neuromuscular disabilities or uh, cerebral palsy or anything that the physical body, how that impacts how you think, how your emotions are, how you process the world. And so I, you know, eventually I'd like to open my, my own nonprofit and focus on uh, counseling and art therapy and just even like a, a form of activism in there as well to make sure that policies and people's perceptions are equal to how we, what we deserve. Okay. You've mentioned your activism a couple of times. Tell me why? Because not everybody's equipped to be an activist. Not everybody wants to join that kind of fight, regardless of where the activism is taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but tell me why that's important to you and, and sort of what kind of activism you, know, you found yourself getting into. With the recent movements in the world, you know, we, the Black Lives Matter, the um, equality for different kinds of races, different minorities, different oppressed groups, the LGBTQIA community. Um, I just feel very passionate towards making sure that people are treated correctly. And I like to confront people who think that it's okay to just say whatever they want to say, Yeah, you know? And I just don't have that fear of getting put down or getting uh, harassed or anything because my convictions are stronger than being negatively spoken to. Let's let's talk first about the. I, I know that you are passionate about disability activism, and and you talked about it a little bit in in kind of changing some of the perspective that that people might have or the assumptions that they might have. But what does that look like right now in your life? What are you doing, kind of in that sphere? Well, right now, I have not been focusing on disability okay. activism. Uh, I found myself in a situation where I was able to educate people on how oppressed that the uh, Hispanic community is and how they, I, I was not expected to head up anything. Um, I tried to get out of it several times. I was like, I want to give this to someone who is Hispanic, who feels strongly about this. And everyone was like, no, you can, you, you keep doing it. You're fine. And I was like, okay, well, um, and we should so, say you, you found yourself kind of leading the fight against a, a certain restaurant yes. um, with a very racially insensitive name. Uh, and, and so you've been very public in leading that charge, you know, to educate people about it. That has, uh, I guess, taken your, your activism mindset, maybe originally related to disability, and kind of focused it in a different direction. Right. It, you know, I never expected to even ever be doing anything like this. I've been contacted by various organizations around the state. Uh, Equality Texas is one of them. They are very powerful in making sure that the LGBTQ plus community is treated well in uh, government. And so, you know, I was contacted by them to speak about it. Uh, I know the LA Times, they wrote about it as far as what we were doing. And it's just been amazing to have the support that I've had to 
fight for equal rights and make, making sure that all these obvious aggressions aren't being allowed. Do you feel especially equipped to be doing this? Like, does, does this kind of activism feel natural to you or are you having to step out of, of maybe a comfort zone? I mean, because you're, you're exposing yourself you know, to the, the slings and arrows of, of people who are on the other side. Yeah. I, I know you've experienced <laughs> that. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of, of online hatred kind of thrown your way. <laughs> there has. And at first, I started out this whole thing like, I like to troll people, and I like to make them think about what they're saying by them obviously not knowing what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. kind of just like, you know, I, I've got like a very strange sense of humor. So calling out people just was kind of funny to me at first. Like it was just me protecting my friends who were being uh, targeted. And then it just, I mean, my, my trolling grew into an intense activism, which has a group of people who support me like a a large, overwhelming group of people who support me, like all across the country, you know? And um, it's, I think I'm equipped for this because I've I've felt this oppression in a different way. Mm -hmm. Being a woman with a disability and being on the outside of this area, being a progressive person in a conservative area, I felt this, this weight on me as well, you know? And I think it's just, helped me be a powerful force who, I mean, I'm not, it doesn't really intimidate me to do this. I, I want to talk a little bit um, about the the political angle, um, because I know that's another way that kind of sets you apart from, from this community is having a more progressive political mindset in a very politically conservative area. Do you think there's there's anything about your experience growing up, anything like that, that has informed that? Or is that just kind of a natural outgrowth of how, you know, how your beliefs and your perspective on the world has developed? I think it's just seeing these targeted communities uh, that unfairly spoken to or having policies placed against them that limit their ability to grow and progress. And I, being a person with a disability, I've had to jump many hurdles and fight with many people mm-hmm. about getting just basic needs met. And so I think it just kind of opened my eyes to see how people are being treated and to look at governmental agencies who basically limit people's ability to, to progress. Thinking about you having been in L.A. and then coming back to Amarillo, um, and then finding yourself in this position, does this seem does this seem surprising to you? Like, you know, you're back in Amarillo, but now you're you're a high profile advocate, and you're getting involved in issues of racial sensitivity or insensitivity and disability activism, and and it's more than just kind of being a person who can disappear, you know, like you could in L.A. and not get extra attention. You're back here, and now you've got extra attention. You know, everyone would always tell me, they were like, you're going to do really awesome things. And I was like, I, I don't, I guess, I don't know. You know, I, I never expected to step out into this role. I never wanted to really. Um, 
but now that I'm here, I enjoy it. It kind of gives me hope that other people also feel the same way that I do. And I'm happy to be the person that gets the brunt of the aggression. <laughs> you know, um, it's just a really cool feeling. I, 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 I never knew that I was equipped for this. What's your perspective on Amarillo? You know, now having seen some of that pushback, um, having returned here as an adult, um, do you see it a different way than maybe you did as a kid, as a teenager? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think as you grow, you continue to see how people's perspectives are. And to even when you confront them, you see that they don't change. Even if you give them all the facts, all the the knowledge, and it's cognitive dissonance where their convictions are so strong that they don't realize that this is hurting people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, as a, as a child, I didn't really understand different perspectives. I didn't understand what it meant to be a, a progressive person. And I never expected to be even politically involved at all. And being an adult, it's, it's just mind-blowing sometimes. Like, there are amazing people in this area who really care, and they are amazing, you know, whether they don't agree with you fully or they... It's, it's, I, I don't even know. It's just... I'd like to take the opportunity, because you're here, to give you a chance to maybe educate listeners on, on some of the ways maybe that, that we don't understand can be offensive or demeaning to people who have disabilities... Um, you know, you've, you've covered it a little bit and the people who want to pray for you or who right. are inspired because you can shop for groceries. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, that it, it's the same kind of thing as with the Black Lives Matter movement that you want, you know, black men and women who have experienced oppression to be the, the loudest voices talking about that experience and educating people on that. Um, you know, given, given the platform that you have now, how would you want to educate just your average person on what's the best way, you know, to treat someone who is maybe in a wheelchair, who does maybe have a physical disability? What, I mean, what are we doing that we don't understand that we're doing and is, is not helping? Yeah, I think the fact that I am not in a position to be pitied. I, I have a good life. I don't need to be healed. Um, walking doesn't mean it's better. Like be, me sitting is fine. These are my legs. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. I am happy. I do everything that I need to do. I don't need to be healed. And just basically to make sure that you treat people with disabilities with the same, uh, same way that you treat other people who are walking or who aren't, you know, who are neurotypical or who... You know, there's so many different kinds of disabilities and just don't be ignorant on, you know, like learn, learn who they are. Don't ask weird questions when you first meet them. Don't ask how they go to the bathroom. Don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's a question you would just ask anybody you meet, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I've gotten some weird questions. Like people think that they have the right to know everything about you when they meet you. Hmm. Like, people will come up to me and say, you know, your husband is an angel for being with you. Oh, wow. And I'm like, (laughs) 
<laughs> we're angels for being with each other. Yeah. That's what we are. Because <laughs> we're both, you know, we both are 50-50 partners. We know how to handle each other. I mean, he's he's he does things, I do things for him. You know, it's it's an equal thing. And he's not an angel for being with me. It occurs to me that while there may be some people who are are doing like obviously unhelpful things like asking how you go to the bathroom but there are also there's also a mindset of of wanting to be very helpful and wanting to be kind and sometimes it's under the assumption that like you need help um, oh, that yeah, people yeah. might see you at the grocery store and think oh i need to help this yeah. this girl get something <laughs> on a high shelf or or something like that is is there a part of that that maybe good intentions can still be hurtful or, or maybe offensive? Yeah, yeah, people really do want to help, and they do come from a good place. You know, if I'm getting in my van, there's a ramp, and I have to back into it, and people will walk by and be like, do you need help? I'm like, no, I think I've done this plenty of times. But, you know, I just wait for people to ask you if they need something. Okay, You know, if... If someone is struggling with something, maybe if they have a disability, maybe they're just trying to do it that day. Maybe they're really, you know, they're, they're really trying to help themselves and they don't want anyone's help, you know. Um, another thing is, I, I know there's a lot of, I'm not sure if this is okay to say. Uh, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> Inspiration porn. Okay. <laughs> which makes people... Like videos on Facebook where yeah. some an employee is helping cut up someone's food, you know, and people are like, "Oh my goodness, let's film this man! What an amazing man!" And they don't they don't talk to the person with a disability to find out why they don't have the systems in place for someone to cut up their own food. Like it's a bigger problem than just it's it's a man who needs assistants who probably can't qualify for it hmm. you know so don't be a creep don't film people with a disability like they they're not your inspiration that we're not here to make you feel good you know the, the last thing i wanted to ask ali is i i know that you found yourself sort of in this accidental activism uh in response to the restaurant opening and because of that you're you're sort of in a position of defending the Hispanic community uh, when you yourself are white. Uh, your husband is Hispanic, um, is originally from Mexico. So tell me about the balance that you've had to find, you know, in that position and sort of how, you know, what kind of response you've gotten from the Hispanic community in Amarillo, which is, is already very strong, is very passionate, and is certainly capable, you know, of, of waging this fight themselves. So tell me kind of how you've, you've tiptoed through that part of it. Yeah, I have never wanted to be the white savior of this movement because I don't want to take away the voices of people who are experiencing these things. And whenever, you know, I every moment I get, I want to make sure that the Hispanic community is involved and that they are still agreeing with what my stance. And if I need to learn anything, then I want them to tell me, you know, I'm open I'm, I'm never going to shut anyone out to their opinions. And I just, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And I just love the support that I've gotten. 
and the community that has backed me and helped me and really basically just headed this movement with, I mean, it's, it hasn't just been me. It's been so many people who have spoken out and who have made their voices known too, and I will always back them up. So I think it's, it's good to know for them too that I'm lurking and watching <laughs> and making sure that everyone is okay and that they're, they're feeling good about what they're doing. This episode of Hey Amarillo is sponsored by Bivens Point. Now, many of us with older parents or grandparents have been especially careful during the pandemic to protect their health. We're probably more aware of the health of older citizens than ever before. Senior health care is a big deal, and a lot of us may get to a place where we're helping make decisions about rehab or nursing care for those family members. When that time comes, turn to Bivens Point. Bivens is a long-trusted name for senior health care in Amarillo. They've suspended visitation right now to protect the residents, but if you'd like to learn more about this wellness community, visit BivensPoint.org, and that's point with an E at the end. Okay, I'm back with Allie Ramos. Allie, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Um, the first one is is a relatively new question, uh, and we've talked a little bit about some of this stuff, but what's one thing the last few months, whether it's related to the pandemic, whether it's related to the protests, what has it revealed to you about Amarillo? It has revealed to me that people are really scared and intimidated by something that they're not fully aware of, and I think that a lot of education is needed as to why these protests are happening, why these peaceful walks are happening, and to really, really listen to the people who are heading these movements, because there is a reason, there's absolutely a reason as to why it's happening, and it's been happening for years and years and years. Like, this is not a new thing, but people are finally, people are just really stepping it up, and I, I love this area that there are so many people that are speaking out. Yeah, has has that surprised you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of people are, like, implants. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they've come from different places. They've seen things. They've experienced life in different cultures. And so they're able to come here and tell others hmm. that this is not all there is. There's so much out there that we need to experience. And... The world is at our finger, or that we can we can get on the computer and look at anything. We can we can find out about all these different places. Like we're not shut in this little area. Yeah, we used we, to talk about Amarillo being in a bubble, but right. in a lot of ways we've broken that bubble. Right. We have the ability to, to learn and to to talk to other people, whether it's online. We can hear their opinions, their voices, their experiences, and really just digest it. Because we're, we're not all there is. You know, this is a tiny city compared to what else yeah. there is. So you've, you've had the opportunity to, to talk to outside media uh, about what's happening here, about your activism here. You've also lived outside Amarillo. So how do you describe Amarillo to people who don't live here? I explain that people are very friendly. You can, someone will always be there to help you. And Whether you ask for it or not. Whether you ask for it or not. <laughs> 
someone will pick me up and I don't even ask for it, you know? They'll carry me to their car. Like, wait, no, please. But um, they, you know, people are very, very friendly and there are also people that have a lot to learn. Hmm. You know, it's it's being kind of a, it's, it's not really secluded, but it kind of is, you know, it's to this area, someone who hasn't ever gone outside this area. Right. It's... It's good to educate. It's easy to self-limit our own perspectives here. Yes. Yes. It's, it's like we're the center of the universe sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> what does this area have too much of? Gas stations. <laughs> <laughs> we are a driving culture, <laughs> though. <laughs> Probably gas stations. Okay. Yeah. You know, we people. The perspective of L.A. I mean, because you've lived there, is that people are always driving everywhere. It takes you know two hours to get anywhere. Is the the per capita gas station number similar to it's like to here? It's every, been a while since I've been there. Every new building that we see coming up here, it's like, what's it going to be? It's like, oh, it's a gas station. Wow, I can't wait. Yeah. You know, it's like the least exciting thing you can build. <laughs> what does the area not have enough of? I would think like vegetarian options, okay. uh, different restaurants that, I mean, there are several that do offer vegetarian. It's improved a lot it in has, the last few years. It has. And I'm not vegetarian. I just think the, that there are, are a lot of people who are, and that would be amazing to just like get some fast food that's not completely horrible for your body. I, I've heard that a few times just because I've, I've spent some time um, writing about Amarillo. And so I'm on like travel sites and stuff. And one thing I hear pretty often from people driving through town is how hard it is to find vegan options oh, yeah. if you don't know the city. Like, like they're passing through. They just want to find some place to eat lunch. And it's <laughs> you got to know where to go. And if you ask that question online, people are like, you're not out in the right area. Got to yep. get steak. I'm like, Keep well, driving. This is beef country. It's <laughs> like, okay. There's different people too. <laughs> What's your favorite neighborhood in Amarillo? The Wolfland area. Okay. It's so just, it's like magical to me. It's every house is different, especially by Amarillo College. Like all the big, like just old houses are amazing to me. And I, I just want to, I want to go inside every one of them. <laughs> I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, what's your favorite local restaurant? I've got three. Okay, I'll take three. Okay, I've got Bangkok Tokyo. All right. Because they are always friendly and they always get the, the order right. And they're amazing. They're delicious. And Indian Oven. All right. Which the owner is amazing too. I love them so much. Um, the order's always right. <laughs> And used to be the best buffet in Amarillo. I don't know what, what buff- buffets are going to look like in the future, but... Buffets are dead. I think... <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But, Hopefully um, not. And Yellow City Street Food. Okay. It's very uh, original food. Again, the owners are great. Um, One of the most reliable vegan uh, menus in yes. the city, too. Yes. And they are very creative with what they do. They will listen to suggestions. You know, they, they're just very caring, caring people. Okay. That's a good list of three. Yeah. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I would have to say the 806 right. is wonderful because I love, again, I love the owners. They're my friends. They really know how to support the art community mm-hmm. in the San Jacinto area. They hold a lot of drives for children for 
school starting. Um, they just they just have a really big heart. And when was the last time you went to the Big Texan? <laughs> uh, I had family come in about six years ago. All right. And they always want to go to the Big Texan. And I mean, it's it's good for people who don't live here. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's very it's a very fun little little area. I if I didn't live here, I probably want to go too. Okay. You know? I think yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, most people driving through eat there yes. more frequently than locals do. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not about to eat that 72 ounce steak. Well, okay. My husband wants to try, but I think he could probably do it too. More power to him then, if Maybe. he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Allie, that concludes the eight straight questions. Uh, I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So, what is one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience locally? Yeah, I just joined Lytton St. Stephen with uh, being an admin for the Panhandle Mutual Aid Group. Okay. And I'm really Lytton's excited. a friend of the podcast. Yes. I'm really excited to help them take some pressure off of them because they're, they're the ones that have really been heading this group up. It's an amazing place to ask for help if you need it during these times, during the COVID times. And if you have anything else to give, it's a great place to give. So they started just an amazing, amazing uh, Facebook group in the area. And so many people have, have talked just organically about how that's one of the great outgrowths of the pandemic period was, was having this group. And Lytton has been able to continue it even after some of the business shutdowns, the economic yeah. stress has, has lessened a little bit. I, I, I'm always interested... How long, you know, will this continue? How long will the group, you know, continue to help people? And it doesn't have to just be something that exists during a time of crisis. I mean, hopefully it can continue long into the future. Yeah, and I know that they are continuously posting things on there, and they're trying to help everyone that they can. They, they have a really big heart, and I'm excited to step alongside them and help them out. Okay. Allie Ramos, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Allie for the interview. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing the show every week. And especially to Bivens Point for sponsoring Hey Amarillo. Supporters of Hey Amarillo through Patreon include executive producers Barbara and Jim Witten, Chriselda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Jess Heredia, Neil Nossiman, Ryan Pennington, and Joshua Rafe. This has been episode 161. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.